Well, if like me, you've moved in the last couple of years, you'll know that there's one word that probably puts fear into your very soul, and that is this, loft. Over many years, we lived in Salisbury for 18 years, and every now and then we think, should we be moving? I just stick my head into our loft and go, no, we shouldn't. I'm quite happy here. And you may know what I mean by that. Well, obviously, 18 months ago or so, we moved, and so I had to venture into the loft. But worse than that, I had to enter into my mother-in-law's loft. Now, my mother-in-law was convinced that some of the items up there, which she had preserved since, well, Noah landed his ark, I think, she'd kept them because she knew that they would be so priceless that they were worth keeping, and more than that, they were worth sending her son-in-law off to the antiques market with. So one gallant afternoon, I took all the items from my mother-in-law's loft, I had a couple of boxes full of stuff, and I took them into the antiques market. I took 23 items in with me. Ten minutes later, I emerged from the antiques market with £10 in my pocket and 21 items still in the box. I got to the barrier of the car park and the car park charged me £1.70 to park to find out that I was only going to make 10 quid anyway. It was not my best day of my life. You see, I'd watched the TV shows. You ever watched Cash in the Attic? I thought this was my moment. I'd heard those stories of how people had found, you know, the Rembrandt amongst whatever, and they'd gone out, and suddenly everything was fulfilled. They lived a life of luxury for the rest of their days. I got 10 quid, and then the car park charged me £1.70. And I don't know what your experience is currently and where you are currently, but I wonder whether, for some of us, there's a little bit of that sort of story that actually relates to our own faith as well. Because sometimes following Jesus can feel a bit like that. We can feel that we've heard the stories of those whose lives have been absolutely transformed and how glorious that was. Maybe even ourselves, we may have been the subject of those stories in the past, but it's not what we're feeling right now. And when I sat there in that car park and realized I'd made £8.30, I thought, gosh, there's got to be more than this, haven't there? There's got to be more. And in many ways, that's what we can feel so often in our faith. In fact, I would actually say that's something we should always be feeling in our faith, that there is more, that God has more in store, that there's more that we could step into, that there's more that we can see. And I want to suggest this morning that that's what Paul longs for amongst the believers in Ephesus. He longs that they would know that there is more, that there is more to this. And that's what we're going to explore together this morning. You see, the Christian faith has got to be the ultimate rags to riches, hasn't it? It's got to be that we sort of take everything out of our loft, all the stuff that we hold dear, and then we give it to Jesus and go, well, it's not much. And he just goes, I know, but it will do. And he takes it. And as a result of taking that, he transforms us and he gives us back so much more. And folks, if you're here this morning and you're yet to give that all over to Jesus, can I encourage you to do that? Can I encourage you that that is the best thing you can possibly do? Not the easiest by any means, but certainly the best. Paul writes and he encourages the the believers not to be satisfied. He writes to tell them that there's more than this, so much more. And he starts this passage with one simple phrase and he starts it with this, for this reason. And actually he does three times throughout the beginning of Ephesians. He writes three times for this reason. So if he's that clear, what is his reason? His reason is in the beginning of, Ephesus, of the book to, written to Ephesus. In the first chapter, he's written about the glorious spiritual blessings we hold in Christ. And he says, because of that, this is what I pray for you. 
And it's fascinating to look at what he prays. You know, the church in Ephesus would most likely have been small, relatively insignificant, and probably just little house churches at the time. But Paul doesn't pray for them to see growth or wealth or health, but instead he prays that they would have wisdom and revelation so that they might know God more. This passage is all about wisdom and revelation that we might know God more. Because for Paul, that's what it's all about, that we should know God better. That's what it's about, that we should know God better, because then everything else falls into place. I wonder what you pray for this church. I wonder what you pray for your own circumstances, for your own family. I don't know about you, but I so frequently fall into praying, bless. And what I mean by that is I go, well, God bless the food bank, because it's easy, isn't it? It's sort of shorthand. And often I'll end up praying, oh, God bless, you know, and it's almost like God bless mummy, daddy, and the hamster, you know, I mean, it's a bit pathetic, really, isn't it? And then you read what Paul writes, and Paul says, I pray that you might know the glorious riches that are available to you. The glorious riches. Your glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul doesn't want us to be blessed in that way. He wants us to be alive in that way because we realize what we have in Christ and to be blown away by it again. And you know, that's what we pray for for the food bank, isn't it? That people walk in and they sense that God is there. That people walk into our church and they sense that God is there. That's what we want it to be about. Paul's motivation is this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You know, Paul gets excited about Christians, not just in the book to the Ephesians, but in many of his books. It's almost as he remembers these churches that he's planted. He gets so excited about it, he can hardly control himself. He gets so excited that it drives him to pray for them again. I don't know how you think about your fellow church members and whether you get excited when you think about them. But actually, I want to remind us this morning that the privilege of being part of church family is incredible. The privilege of knowing people like Peter Hooper is incredible. Of seeing someone like him who gave so much to this church family. The fact is that it's incredible that we can actually say to Pam, you are not alone because your church family will now care for you. It's something unique that we share that unites us together. It's a privilege to be part of church. As Pete said, we celebrate in Bodmin our first birthday this afternoon, which is incredible to think we've done a year's worth of Sunday services already. And Bobman Church is not huge. We're getting somewhere between 20 or 30 people a week. That's all. Our outreach events are bringing in over 50 people, which is incredibly encouraging. But our normal core is about 20 to 30 people. But where we are, we have such a real sense of family. And what I'm so thrilled at especially is that that family is still welcoming other people. It's not gone inclusive. But as people walk in, as we saw only last Sunday at our outreach event, people are continuously wanting that family to grow and for more people to know Jesus. That sense of family is something that's unique and something that's encouraging and something that's exciting within our churches. But Paul, if he was here this morning, would say, well, that's lovely, John, but it's not enough. 
That's just the start. That may give you the foundation. But actually what you can build on now is so exciting because he prays that the church at Ephesus might might receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. That's what it's about. That we receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. J.B. Phillips, an alternative translation, he puts this, that we want an inner illumination of the spirit. And I like that. Don't we want to come to church each week and have that inner illumination of our spirit? Don't we want to just feel alive again? Don't we want to experience that hope again? We're part of something bigger. We're heirs of the Father. We get to share in the power of the Son. And so we need this inner illumination. And folks, particularly if you're here this morning, you're feeling a bit downtrodden. Particularly if you're shaken by events of this last week or so. How again we need that inner illumination of the Spirit. You know, the fact is that we can follow Jesus and still the bashes come, don't they? It doesn't make us immune to the things of life. The bulb will grow dim, we get bashed, we lose hope. And actually, dare we say it, sometimes we get disillusioned as well. But God, I thought you might do that. Lord, I thought you might step in. You know, we talked about the food bank this morning and I've overseen it now for 18 months or so. It's one of the greatest privileges. But how many people have come to know Jesus through that in those 18 months? Nowhere near as many as I'd like to see. And do I go, well, God, what do we do? Is it worth it? What's it all about? Or do I trust that the hope that we're bringing, the prayers that we're praying, will continue to bear fruit and that God will continue to use it? We know God is work, so we keep going, we keep going, longing that people would have that inner illumination, longing that we would have that inner illumination, so even things that may become mundane, we might see how God is at work in them. Paul's prayer is for that inner illumination, that you might know him better. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. This afternoon, we're going to celebrate our first birthday. The banners are all ready to go out. The balloons are ready to go up. 12 months of weekly services. But the challenge I'm going to bring to our congregation this afternoon is not to be celebrating church, but to be celebrating lives changed. Because as lives change, churches grow. And that's what we're going to share. There's going to be a time of testimony this afternoon, and hopefully it will be online soon. If you want to hear it over this coming week, then hopefully some of those will be up if the technology doesn't fail us. Because we want to be about making disciples. We want to be about seeing lives changed. And church is part of that, but it's not the be-all and end-all of that. You see, ultimately, our aim is to be churches that seek the face of God, that know God in further and deeper ways on a weekly basis. And if you think what church consists of, then here's the shock, folks. It consists of you and me, doesn't it? So actually, we are church. It's not something we can subcontract to Pete. It's something that actually is a corporate responsibility to be church together, to do church together. And each one of us is called to have this inner illumination that we'd invest in, that we develop, that we commit to growing in our relationship with God individually as well as corporately. So how much have you explored that hope in this past week? How much have you put time aside to really invest in your relationship with God? Or how much has it been a run thinking, well, don't worry, I'll have an hour or so at church on Sunday and then I'll top up there. You know, Paul would say, don't leave it to that. There's so much more. Get that inner illumination of your spirit that we would know more and more of God at work in our lives.
Because then we're going to be enlightened to the hope to which he's called you. Enlightened to the hope to which he calls you. And you know, this hope is a biblical hope. It's not some mythological thing. It's not some wishful thinking. It's a huge hope that sustains us. And it's a ridiculous hope. It's a ridiculous hope that says that Peter is up there rejoicing with the angels today. It's a ridiculous hope that says that we are agents of hope. And we bring that hope into the darkest circumstances because we do it in Jesus' name. And it's a hope that's based on the character of God. Because if we read the scriptures, we see that God is faithful. God is full of grace. God is all about restoration and resurrection. He builds us up again. He takes us no matter how downtrodden we are and transforms us. No matter how many times we sin against us, he continues to offer his forgiveness if we will turn from that. And ultimately, he sustains us in all aspects of life and in death as well. Many of you know that I was a youth worker for many years and um, one of my previous youth group members, a young woman of the age of 23, hung herself three weeks ago. Her father was a colleague of mine on the staff of the church I previously worked for. And I'd known that Esther had struggled with her mental health over many years. I'd seen it as a teenager and they subsequently moved to America where her father is, a, is now a pastor of a large church there. They streamed her her funeral service over the internet and had the privilege of watching it. And honestly, her father gave one of the most profound talks I've ever heard at a funeral, talking at his own daughter's funeral. And he talked quite openly about her struggles with depression. But in the mix of all of that, he also spoke of those glimmers of hope that he'd seen. He spoke of the mystery and the pain and the hope. And the hope that on a good day, she had deeply rooted in Jesus. And the hope that on that day when she was found hanging from a tree had escaped her. You know, folks, life is tough. And if you haven't experienced that, hold on because it's coming. All of us will experience those things that we rejoice in and all of us will experience those things that we despair in. I've got a few questions I'm going to ask the Lord when I see him. I don't know about you. But you know, when her father spoke at that funeral, he stood at the, top, at the front of a packed church and he said, I don't understand everything that's happened in the last few weeks. But I do know that our God is a God of hope and a God who continues to bring that hope. And then he and his wife, Esther's mum, stood and sang a duet to express that. And I was in tears by the end of that knowing all of her circumstances and knowing all that she'd been through. But you know, we need to be people who cling on to that hope and confident in that hope. And that doesn't come from wishful thinking. It comes from that inner illumination of the Spirit. It comes from being rooted and steadfast in knowing Jesus for ourselves. My expectation would be that some of us are here this morning and we're full of hope. You know that really irritating person who's just so full of hope it drives you potty sometimes? (laughs) But my expectation also would be that some of us here today and we're really struggling. And church sometimes isn't the place where we want to share either our hope or our struggles. And yet how ridiculous is that? Can I give us a challenge as we drink coffee together in a minute? If you're here with hope today, look out for those who are looking like they need a bit of it. Don't wind them up. Do it nicely. 
but do be encouraging to those who need that encouragement this morning. And if you're here and you're struggling this morning, will you be honest with people? You know, particularly in Cornwall, people go, you're right, yeah, I'm right. <laughs> How would it be if someone said, you're right this morning, you said, well, actually, I'm not. And we share that hope with one another. Because part of that hope is what we hold in each other. And Paul prays that the church at Ephesus would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, it's fascinating, this little line. Notice that it says his glorious inheritance in the saints. Not your glorious inheritance in the saints, but his. As in Christ's. Christ's glorious inheritance in the saints is what Paul wants us to share. It's something that Christ shares with us. The riches of being part of God's people, of being his family, of being his community. And actually that takes work and takes time. don't know if you saw the royals on the tally this week, uh, talking about their royal foundation, the younger royals. Meghan Markle's umpteenth appearance that they all get excited about. And Prince Harry was talking about uh, the, the joys of working as family. Did you see it? One of the reporters asked, what's it like working as family? And he said, well, it's one of those things, you know, when, you, when you're sort of family, you're sort of tied together. And people laughed. And he said, they are, they get it. Everybody knows what it is to be family and sort of be tied together. Folks, we are family. We are tied together. And we need to act as such. And so there's a huge calling on us as church to be good to one another, to encourage one another, to stand together for one another. Because the church, says Paul, is this. It is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. If you're here this morning and you're waiting for your club membership to come through, your Dennis the Menace fan club, whatever it used to be in my day, you're going to be disappointed. Church is not a club. It's not an institution. It's a living organism. It's the living body of Christ. It's his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And Paul says... Step fully into it. Be fully part of his promise. Know what it is to know the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In a minute, we're going to come to communion. And as we share the blood and the body of Christ together, what a great reminder of the hope that he brings. You know, if you want a summary of this passage, I think it's this. Paul says to us all, look up. Look up, look at what God offers to each one of us. Open your eyes again to see what you already have in Christ. Open your eyes to see afresh who Christ is and who you are in him. And as I said, if you're not there yet this morning, folks, don't leave it a day longer. Come to know him for yourself. And open your eyes again to see yourself and your brothers and sisters as saints of Christ. Yes, we're a work in progress, but nevertheless, saints in Christ. Chosen and transformed and in the work of being transformed. Finally, here's the greatest hope of all. Paul talks of the incomparably great power for us who believe. Folks, if you need to hear it again this morning, we are on the winning side. We are on the winning side. And that's the place of hope that we come from. As we share that communion in a second, that's the place of hope. That place where everything seemed crushed and destroyed was still that place of hope because we're on the winning side. So as we come together, let's commit to be church to one another. Let's commit to be church to those who come into the food bank. 
Let's commit to be church to those that we meet this coming week. And let's pray that we get more and more of that inner illumination of the Spirit. That we'd know the hope that we're called to. And we'd be agents of that hope for this hurting world.